0: You're listening to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Mission Bitcoin podcast, where each week we explore Christian responsibility in adopting Bitcoin. I'm Matt Solik, your host, and we're glad to have you with us today. Today, we meet with Lee Bratcher. Lee is the Texas Blockchain Council president and teaches political science, blockchain concepts, and international relations at Dallas Baptist University. Today, he sits down with us to talk about life and blockchain and some of the exciting things taking place in this sector of decentralization.
1: Hope you guys enjoy this episode. And with that, let's jump into today's conversation with Lee Bratcher. Hey, Lee, thanks for, for joining us today. And it's a pleasure pleasure to get to know you and learn about the work that you're doing. And I just want to just publicly thank you for having me uh, participate in one of your council meetings last week. And that was really fruitful. And for the audience sake, let's, uh, let's just do a quick introduction of who you are and uh, we'll go from there.
0: Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Lee Bratcher. I'm the founder and president of the Texas Blockchain Council. We're an industry association, like the Chamber of Commerce, working to make Texas a leader in blockchain innovation. And a big part of uh, our ecosystem and our members is, is Bitcoin mining. So we, we do a lot of advocacy around uh, Bitcoin mining in the state. we talk to elected officials like Governor Abbott, Senator Cruz, and and others um, about the benefits that this industry is bringing to the state, whether it's jobs, tax revenue, uh, even grid resiliency with demand response and control the load, uh, what it can do to harden the the ERCOT um, the ERCOT grid. So yeah, we're we've passed a couple pieces of legislation in Texas that makes Texas a, a great jurisdiction for innovation in uh, blockchain and Bitcoin and
1: uh that's a little bit about us and how we got to where we are today that's awesome uh lee so let's we're going to unpack all of that because i you know for me the the whole energy side of bitcoin mining and what that's going to do with uh for the uh i mean i guess for the environment it's going to i think revolutionize our perspective on the environment i think it's going to revolutionize the in- energy industry and for me personally i did an interview with um uh, Denver O of Upstream Data, and they are using uh, flared natural gas for uh, generation of of miners energy generation for miners, and that was just a fascinating conversation. It just got me going down the rabbit hole, and for my listeners and for you, obviously you're aware of the work I'm doing down in Guatemala. So I kind of want to leverage that whole aspect of Bitcoin mining. So I'm I'm really fascinated by that. But you know, um, how many other you know, state-level, you know, Bitcoin mining councils are there across the U.S., or is this something unique to Texas?
0: You know, there's probably about 20 other state associations um, in other states. Very few of them have the same emphasis on Bitcoin mining as we do. Um, I think that's just a function of Texas having the energy market that it does, uh, controllable load, the ERCOT grid, all of those things, you um, contribute to, to that. So, uh, but, but we are connected with about 20 other state associations, um, off the top of my head, Wyoming, uh, North Carolina, Florida, California, Washington, Oregon, uh, Minnesota, uh, let's see, there's a bunch of other ones, but, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Uh, so really the, the larger states, right. You know, there's not one in Rhode Island or North Dakota, or there is some Bitcoin mining in North Dakota. But for that, I'm aware of there's not an industry association you know, supporting the, uh, the industry there. And all of these associations are either task forces or they're nonprofits. Uh, like a, So nonprofits, 501C6s, which is like a chamber of commerce, um, a little bit different than a public charity in that we can get involved in politics and all that. And uh, we don't do donations, right? Uh, Donations to us are not tax deductible for the very reason that we are involved in politics. So we have to make money other ways. But uh, yeah, that's the landscape of of the industry associations.
1: Lee, back up a little bit to, you know, when, because you started the the Texas Blockchain Council. So kind of back up to what led up to that and, and what was the need that you saw that you felt like this needed to be done?
0: The the landscape was such that, especially in Texas, you know, several years ago, Texas was rated as uh, reactionary around Bitcoin and blockchain, and um, the Brookings Institute did a study that showed Texas at the bottom of the pack. And uh, so I I really saw a need for Texas to take a leadership position because uh, Texas is synonymous with, you know, independent thinking, a little bit of outside the box, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps type of a state. Uh, and that seems to be uh, jive really well with with the you know decentralized decentralized ecosystem like you know Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining uh, certainly um, jive with that. So there's also a lack of communication with policy elites like political elites. Uh, di- I wasn't sensing that um, very many people were. Taking the time to educate elected officials and, and things like that, and that's probably because they were busy building, right? They were busy building products and building, you know, incredible mining companies, and um, and and so they don't have time. To be frank, I mean, they don't have time to uh, to slow down and let their competitors get an edge by taking you know several days out of each month to educate legislators. So we really wanted to just do it for as a service to the industry Uh, and at first you know we were it was kind of a slow going but where we are now the momentum is behind us and and uh a lot of the industry
1: players uh, are are behind us and and you know um, support us and um, and so what does that look like i mean it's the texas blockchain uh council not the texas bitcoin mining council i mean what what does that uh do you include or do you represent other uh blockchain technologies like ethereum or or any of the other blockchains are out there
0: we do yeah we're a pretty big tent organization um if i had to break this down i would say we're probably 50 percent bitcoin and or bitcoin mining um 25 percent um Altcoins, you know, Hedera Hashcraft has been a longtime member, uh, founding member, great, you know, great relationship with their CEO, Mance Harmon. Um, and some of the other, you know, we have some Ethereum miners uh, who are obviously moving to staking uh, in the coming months, probably, mm-hmm. since they're moving to the pr- proof of stake. Um, and then we've got a bunch of, uh, we have a couple other platform companies, but for the majority, there's really not a lot of altcoins that are participating Uh, In the council, there's a lot of services companies like uh, like Armonino and uh, a few banks and uh, companies that are providing services to the ecosystem and a couple of venture capital and private equity firms and start a lot of startups. Um, And and the startups are building on anything from Bitcoin to Ethereum to, uh, you know. All, all over the map. So, you know, we recognize that it's kind of hard to keep a coalition like that together and it's not without its challenges. So um, what we try to do is just uh, tra- channel our influence to the good of the community as a whole. Um, and so we think that the industry is more powerful and more effective if we have, um, if we don't subdivide ourselves or silo ourselves or, or even, um you know go at this separately so that's why we're you know use the overarching term blockchain uh in the title of the organization um and and of course it does entail a lot of different entities under
1: that and what what uh i mean if you had to look at the top three policy issues or concerns that you have to address for your members i mean what what are those well, the number one issue is, is clearly the regulatory environment for Bitcoin
0: mining. I mean, that's just uh, the, the size of that, the benefit for the state. That's our number one issue. Um, we right now, thankfully, have gotten everything done that we needed to get done proactively. So House Bill 4474 from last session. Uh, allows miners to use Bitcoin as collateral without having to do a UCC one or financing statement so that their lenders can perfect their security interests in Bitcoin without uh, cumbersome legal processes. So that was a really effective piece of legislation. Um, so we don't need anything to we don't need to pass any new legislation. We don't' this is not like something pressing. Um we're kind of under the do no harm, like try to to uh, prevent bad policy and and legislation that would be detrimental. Um, One of our interests, though, this is not a must-have for the mining industry, but this would be kind of cool, and I think the upstream data people will be quite interested in this, is we're working on a uh, piece of legislation to potentially exempt um, flare gas from uh, taxes. So particularly the tax uh, related to the sale of the gas from the the royalty holder or the operator or whoever to the miner, because the way explain
1: all that. So, you know, I grew up in Texas and oil and gas was, you know, not in my blood, but pretty close, but explain um, that whole tax system related to oil and gas and flared gas and and all that. So why would that be important?
0: Yeah. And you know, if, uh, if the upstream guys are listening, they, they may correct me a little bit because I'm not a, natural gas guy myself but here's my here's my um, understanding of it and, and I and I do have a lot of members in the association that talk to me about this so we, we're actively working on this legislation so when you have flare gas it's not that you're not paying taxes on it right you're just flaring it off um, you're flaring it because that's better than venting it it's more detrimental to the environment if you vent methane um, but when you, when you redirect that flared gas into a, uh, a generator that, that gas into a generator, natural gas generator, you can mine Bitcoin from it, obviously. And that's, a, that's upstream data, giga, uh, giga, um, energy solutions. There's several companies that are doing that. I'm trying to think of it. Crusoe energy is doing it. Um, so what happens though, is then you have a potential tax Uh, okay. Okay. Liability in the sale of that gas. Whereas before there wasn't. Okay. So, So basically
1: you went from a free energy source to it's free essentially, but you're paying a tax on it. So it's essentially not free. You're, you're, you're paying for it through a tax.
0: You're paying through a tax. And then you might also pay a small, like you'd probably be paying a small fee to the operator or the royalty holder, whoever um to to take that gas off their hands um and the taxes on that transaction so it's you know it's, it's sort of like um, for the comptroller for the texas comptroller the way we're framing it is you we already weren't making a profit on that tax anyways because it was being flared so if bitcoin mining is coming in and actually decreasing the environmental impact of flared gas uh, because when you when you move it, when you take it from player to in a generator, you're actually further decreasing the environmental impact, uh, by a certain percentage, uh, which I have at a percentage in my mind, but, uh, everybody, it's a wildly different percentage depending on, so I don't want to say exact number, but depends on the, the scale of the operation and, uh, how you have it all set up. But, um, so the comptroller shouldn't necessarily be losing tax revenue because it's not like, they're making money on. There's no tax being paid on gas that's being flared right now. So if that makes sense, I know. Yeah, abso- belab- absolutely, but point.
1: no, no, no. It it makes perfect sense to me. But for the politician, it's like you know. Well, I mean, <laughs> we're going to get as much money as we can. So why not? But I. But I understand. I mean, that that's a great policy initiative. Um, yeah, so each I,
0: each bill has to be run through uh, the comptroller's office and through um you know the budget office for a a score a fiscal impact score so uh each bill will have this fiscal impact and if it's a huge burden on the state like hey we're going to lose out on 100 million dollars of tax revenue that bill does not have a likely chance of getting passed Got so it. if it's a very low fiscal impact score then uh or you know even better if it had a zero impact fiscal impact score then we would be doing pretty well easily okay. to get
1: it passed okay great um do you, do you view Texas as a leader or the leader, without being a Texan, and, you know, I'm a proud Texan myself, but, I mean, do you view Texas as a leader in this, or do you feel like, you know, there's some catching up to other states, or kind of where do you feel that Texas is in this whole organizing of um, the lobby behind Bitcoin and blockchain?
0: Yeah, so two different fronts there. On the Bitcoin mining front, Texas is undoubtedly the number one. Um, There's no other state that can compare. New York has a lot of Bitcoin mining as well. Uh, North Dakota has some. There's several other states that have some. But Texas is is undoubtedly the leader there. Uh, On the legislative and lobby front, there's some states that are doing really great stuff. We always look to Wyoming and uh, very appreciative of of what uh, Caitlin Long has done in Wyoming along with uh, David Pope and her, their colleagues there. So I, I would say Texas is in the top five on the, the legislative front. Um, you know we're definitely the largest state economy you know uh, that's that's really pushing forward this. California is not really pushing the envelope here uh, and, and so Texas being the number two economy in the country. And the number nine economy in the world wow. um, uh, over Canada, Brazil, and these other countries, uh, it's very, very impactful for the state. But I would say Wyoming and North Carolina um, are two other states that are neck and neck um, do, with Texas.
1: And do you think that the uh, California's lagging is... Um, Political in nature? I mean, is it, it? Does it boil down to politics in in, in uh, California? Probably so. I'm not as familiar with the
0: politics there, uh, other than they're challenging. You know, they're they're challenging in any big state because there's a lot of big stakeholders and a lot of incumbents that have a pretty tight grip on, um, you know, on power. Uh, Ali Medina is who I liaise with there. She's. Uh, helps run an industry association in California for this. so she would be one to reach out to but um, I do think it has to do with politics. I think it there's so many pressing issues that California' is struggling with right now um, that this is not really a priority for them and that's that's okay. We'd rather Texas lead than them and uh, <laughs> yeah. that's not a political statement that's just uh, yeah, of course. yeah. You know, they're very distracted. So (laughs)
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's a shame. I I think that, you know, the the deeper you go into Bitcoin mining and energy, uh, it seems like Bitcoin mining could solve a lot of problems and so I, I definitely want to um, talk about that, but do, do you have the opportunity to take what's going on at the state level and leverage that at the federal level, or do, do, the, do federal uh, folks reach out to you guys for guidance as to what you guys are doing in Texas because you're kind of at the forefront or what's that relationship look like?
0: It's a great question and it's a, it's a good relationship. We are um, pretty tied in with the folks at the Digital Chamber of Commerce and the Blockchain Association. Uh, you know Kristen Smith heads up the the BA and um, Perry Ann boring heads up the digital chamber Ron Hammond and um, Dan spooler are also just very talented contacts up there in DC you know, on the lobby front with the blockchain association so um, we work we work very closely with them and um, they're doing a great job with with um, a lot of the hearings that they've been having to work through from Maxine Waters uh, hearing on financial services to the Bitcoin mining hearing that's coming up on the energy and commerce committee. So they've got a tougher road there. If you, if that makes sense, um, you know, there's, there's just um, a little bit more pushback about this industry there because of what the IRS and the SEC have been thinking. Um, you know, Janet Yellen has not been, uh, overly, uh, and I guess she's at treasury, right? So, uh, she's not been overly supportive. Um, of course, Hester Pierce at the SEC has been her- incredibly supportive, but there's, there's not a lot of clarity coming from some of the other commissioners at the SEC. Uh, so they've got their work cut out. They're doing a great job and it's a long, it's, it's going to be a 10 year conversation, right? This is not something that's solved overnight. So the industry is going to be massive in 10 years and whether or not a lot of that growth has gone overseas or stayed in the United States largely depends on the work that industry associations across the country uh, are doing and also our counterparts and our counterparts and colleagues in DC. So
1: it, we can't not work together if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, the stakes are too high. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think our saving grace is our federal, uh, system and, you know, that way te- states can act independently, but it seems in my mind that there's billions of dollars that's poured into this industry. Uh, and it, 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 seems like it would be a fool's errand to try to overly regulate it, um, five years down the line or 10 years down the line, there's just going to be too much, uh, money in it. But, you know, from a business perspective, you do want regulatory clarity because it's hard to make decisions without having that. Um, so at the state level, I mean, how how does the governor view your work? How, does he, how do state legislatures view what you guys are doing? And then on top of that, I know the uh, state legislature, I think the state legislature in Texas meets once every two years, is that right? That's correct. So how does that how does that work when you're trying to work on policy? I mean, I know the government still runs and all that, but I mean, what what from a policy perspective can can happen in a in a lapse of two years?
0: That, that is a long time, and it's you know most states have a annual uh, or even continuous legislative sessions, like the federal government, uh, but Texas has a citizen citizens legislature, so. It's, it's really sort of neat. All of the legislators have jobs, so, you know, day jobs. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're venture capitalists, they're uh, school teachers, they're, you know, all these different things. And uh, that brings a lot of experience. They have a lot of experience to bring to bear in the legislature. Um, it's really not as challenging as it would seem because all the regulatory bodies that we deal with are, are year round. I mean, they, they don't take a day off. So, I mean, they take Christmas and they take holidays off, but you know what I mean. They're mm-hmm. they're always they're always at it. So, and the legislators are too. You know, even though they have day jobs. I in fact, ten minutes ago, before we jumped on this podcast, I was on the phone with Representative Tan Parker, who was uh, a good ally of ours and helped author some of the legislation that we worked with, worked on. And uh, you know, Governor Abbott's been very supportive as well. Uh, Representative Giovanni Capriglione and Senator Angela Paxton, are all people that come to mind. On the Democratic side, you know, Senator Nathan Johnson has been interested in this industry as well. He's a Democratic senator from the Dallas area. Um, So there's a lot of cooperation. It's really not a partisan issue. It shouldn't be. Uh, They're trying to make it one on the federal level, uh, Mm -hmm. some of the some of the elected officials up there. But it's not yet become partisan in Texas, which is helpful. Um, so we, we need to make sure that it doesn't because that adds a new level of complexity. Um, but we, you yeah, know, we were able to host a, an event with a lot of our the CEOs of our member companies at the governor's mansion uh, back in October, you know, 40, 40 CEOs with the governor for an hour, all talking about blockchain, Bitcoin mining. Um, so it, it, we've been very fortunate, but he's, so open innovation.
1: Very cool. So um, Lee, let's talk about the the relationship of, to the extent that, I mean, I'm not an expert and I'm, I presume you're not an energy expert either, but um, I'm fascinated by the relationship of ARCOT with um, the Bitcoin miners and um, the emerging role. I think that Bitcoin mining is gonna have on the, the load balance that you mentioned. I think that, you know, as I've, I've, as I've studied it, the the problem with um, the blackouts or brownouts last winter was kind of a perfect storm, but um, it seems like Texas has moved into renewable energy uh, pretty quickly, and you've got to have a, a, a really good load balance, and renewables just don't do that. Um, so how, how does Bitcoin mining play into that, and, and what do you see for the future of—it's really going to be a symbiotic relationship, but if you could just kind of explain that that whole symbiosis— yeah,
0: and, and I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this. We've we actually talked to the governor about it, members of ERCOT, members of the PUCs. Conversations are ongoing. Um, yeah, the, the the February freeze, you know, winter storm Yuri was a very unfortunate event, a uh, confluence of unfortunate events, right? An un, once in a 100-year storm, uh, I've only been alive for 34 years, but have never seen anything like that. Uh, not even close. and lived in Texas you know, uh, other than a year or two stint in the military my entire life. Um, so the the problem actually stemmed from critical infrastructure not being designated as critical infrastructure. So a lot of the natural gas power plant uh, you know power plants were not listed as critical infrastructure. So power was turned off to those plants during the crisis. Uh, and when they realized it and they tried to turn the plants back on, they had the, a lot of the equipment had frozen over and it took days for that to thaw. So we were without a lot of our generation capacity for for several,
1: you know, um, several days. I mean, you can't you can't take a blowtorch to a frozen gas pipe. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> not
0: unfortunately, not. Um, so that was the main problem. Of course, renewables was another challenge there because they are they are intermittent. Right. Um, but, but typically, you know, if the, if the natural gas plants had not been, you know, had they been listed as critical infrastructure and had they never lost power, we would have not seen anything like what we saw. Uh, we we may have had a few outages here and there, but nothing like the catastrophic event that we saw. And that's all been, you know, taken care of and fixed. So I've got complete confidence in the grid this this winter and, and moving forward because um, that, that has been fixed. You know, The other challenge is depending on the day, how much wind, how much solar, how much the sun is shining and the wind is blowing, the, the Texas grid is, you know, in the thirties of percentage points that are in renewable. So maybe 35% on good days where the grid is renewable and that's mostly wind actually about 8% solar. Um, so of that of that mix is, is 8% solar and, and the rest of that, you know, mid thirties mix is wind. Again, it does depend on the day, right? If the winds blowing the sun's shining but that's a pretty considerable mix. And if you think about the duck curve when we need power, when, the, when, when power demand is highest, there's some challenges there with renewables. However, as you alluded to, Bitcoin mining is the perfect solution for this because Bitcoin miners can go and uh, create new economic paradigms for renewable companies. You, you put a built-in customer next to a, a wind farm or a solar farm, and their economics just totally change, right? The trend You lose so much power in um, transmission. And we have a big grid congestion problem with renewables, too, because a lot of it is in West Texas. So sometimes there's even negative pricing on renewable power in West Texas or just power in general in West Texas, uh, depending on, again, the time of day and how much power the, those wind turbines are bringing in. So... Um, Bitcoin miners really serve to level that out. And not only do they level it out on the offtake side, they also level it out on the demand response side, which is a really beautiful thing because they can turn off within five seconds. So they're on what's called the demand response program, it means they're a controllable load. Uh, they can ebb and flow. Uh, and it only happens a few times a year. I mean, it could happen more, but since we have a, a free market and the price of power fluctuates, the spot price fluctuates from, you know, minute to minute, um, they're able to, when they turn off, sell their power back into the grid uh, and make just as much, if not more money in those peak power demand moments. You know, it's only a couple of times a year, but when when the grid starts to get strained, the, the miners, of course, they turned off during the winter storm last year, naturally. But when the grid starts to get strained, they turn off, they sell their power back into the grid, to uh, level level demand out, level the supply and demand, and um, they get paid to do so. So it's a beautiful free market uh, structure. Je- I mean, Adam Smith would have a tear in his eye if he could see uh, how, <laughs> how it was working to solve problems in the state of Texas. So
1: that's that's awesome. Matt and I were talking before the podcast about um, Adam Smith. That's funny. Um, do and in, in this grid response scenario, uh, I, I mean, typically, you know, I the sentinel paper for me is the Ark investment in the Square research paper talking about, you know, this scenario with Bitcoin mining and, and batteries. Um, are are batteries a big part of this uh, response um, grid response, or is it purely a function of the the miners acting as basically capacitors?
0: Well, batteries could be a big. Part. I mean, I think the mining industry didn't exist, and we would have to win on batteries a little bit. Uh, but batteries are just so uneconomic, right? They're they're very expensive. They they um, you know the, the the charge the charge that you get uh, has to it's really a taxpayer funded stopgap. Um, so what Bitcoin mining is is, is a business economic incentive that taxpayers don't have to pay for. In fact, they get paid, there's tax paid into the system from the, uh, the economic development that the miners are doing. So if you think about the Bitcoin miners as a big battery, then that's really all you need to think about. So I would, yeah. my, my hope would be that the state of Texas would not spend a dime of taxpayer money on Bitcoin mining, nor would the state need to spend any money on, uh, on um, sorry. The state of Texas wouldn't spend a dime on batteries, nor would the state need to spend any money on Bitcoin mining either, because the economic incentives are such as that they're just going in um, and solving that problem, you know, for us. Um, We'll see, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So the state may want to invest in some battery technology. and, And that's, you know, well within their purview and power to do that. And that, that would be totally fine. But I just think it's unnecessary and it would be
1: wasteful. Uh, and, and Lee, how many, how many miners are hooked up to the ERCOT system to be part of this demand response um, of, the, of the grid?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we don't have our, our finger on the actual number because there are new uh, mining facilities coming up online all the time. Um, as far as industrial scale miners, you really have to be an industrial scale miner to be on the controllable load program. You're not going to have a, a, you know, 500 kilowatt miner be on the program, right? You have to have some scale. Um, so there are a few major miners that have applied for 100 plus megawatts or, and are, or already have 100 plus megawatts of power. Uh, Riot and Winstone being one of the chief among them. Uh, rhodium. Core Scientific, Argo Blockchain, Atlas. Um, I'm forgetting one or two, and, and they're going to kick me for for forgetting uh, mm-hmm. some of the other miners. But these are these are names that you know household names. Uh, Marathon, uh, you know, publicly traded
1: companies. We um, we we won't play this podcast in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah okay, understood. let me let me ask you this. what um, do all of the bit or maybe that's a too exclusive question, do most of the Bitcoin coin miners do they bring their own energy production to the table, or um, are they pretty much connecting into the grid or is it kind of a mix? I mean how does that how does that work?
0: It's definitely a mix. Some of them are connected to the grid. Some of them are partnering like in joint ventures with wind and solar uh existing wind and solar there's a couple of them that are actually partnering with some clean energy funds to build out wind and solar so not only are we providing offtake and providing this load balancing we're it's actually creating demand for new wind and solar projects so i'm aware of at least at least three projects where you know several hundred megawatts worth of wind and solar are, are being built solely to mine bitcoin uh, and if they, if they overproduce, then you can sell that excess into their grid. Uh, if the grid. That, if that particular renewable, like at nighttime, if it's a solar facility, then you can pull power off of the grid because in the middle of the night, we don't have a lot of demand for power in, the state, in any state. I and mean, that's just not how the duck curve works. Um, so there's just a lot of great uh, congruencies here. And it's really fun to be part of.
1: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating technology and a fascinating um, topic to uh, every time I think about it, it's really cool. And um, speak to this concept of the the impact that Bitcoin mining will have, and we kind of have already skirted around the issue, but you know, kind of paint a picture of what um, Bitcoin mining will do for decentralized energy production, and and what what do you think that's going to have? What kind of impact do you think that's going to have on, you know, how our cities are built and and whatnot? I mean, have you given that much thought?
0: Absolutely, yeah. As you know, you and I are kind of both scholars of, of well, I'll, you're probably a scholar. I'm, maybe I'll use that term loosely. For me, uh, students of history, and we understand that energy is the cornerstone of civilization and uh, human flourishing and prosperity. So. The, the distributed nature of this changes the economic model for energy production. Um, projects that would never have been viable are now viable uh, because the economies of scale are very important to the traditional energy sector. With Bitcoin mining, those economies of scale barriers and the barriers to entry really, really start to come down uh, because you, you have an on-site buyer for the energy. Um, and you can see where smaller scale projects in poverty stricken areas of the world would uh, be plausible and feasible with, uh, with the current, you know, with the new economic model. Uh, and, and not even with philanthropic dollars, with actual like maybe even impact investing dollars or, or just traditional you know, private equity and venture capital um so all those things are available i think impact investing is a really cool concept that that expects you know a certain a a traditional return on investment but they also invest they invest in things that are doing good for humanity and so it's a really great um place to be Uh, and sometimes impact investments don't pay out uh the same kinds of multiples that that other investments do but sometimes they do uh, you know, it's and it's really great when they do because uh, somebody took a risk and invested invested their money in an opportunity that's going to make the lives of, of other people better. And so, uh, I'd love to see it when those kinds of things pay off. And I think the kind of thing that you're doing um, is that is that very thing, right? You're it's a mix of impact investing, philanthropy, and um, education where you're bringing energy to parts of the world that have struggled to uh, the, the large energy companies, just it's not economical for them to to be there.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I kind of wonder also, I mean, thinking about Texas in particular, but really any big state, the coastal states where you've got a concentration of the population in these large cities, because that's where the energy has been uh, historically but then when you get into a decentralized ener- energy situation that Bitcoin mining can produce, what that's gonna do to the political landscape, you're gonna lose your um, you know, you're gonna lose your concentration of a voting block because they're gonna be more dispersed. So that, that'll be kind of interesting over the next, you know, 10 to 20 years to see what ha- what what happens there. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Lee, so also, um, that this has been a great discussion. I, I love uh, this topic, and um, I love talking with someone with uh, the knowledge that you've got. Um, kind of explain also, I know you're uh, Army Reserve officer. Uh, thank you for your service. Um, explain, you also mentioned that you, you've got a very unique position in, uh, uh, I guess, scouting blockchain technology for the Army. So I kind of explain that a little bit.
0: Yeah, happy to. Um, and I, I do have to be pretty careful when I of course. put on different hats. Um, you know, our, our JAG officer uh, gives us really great briefings on how to not create conflicts of interest. So um, uh, I can not talk about the 75th Innovation Command, which is my uh, uh, the unit that I'm attached to. That's a, it's an Army Reserve unit that is dedicated to um, assisting with the trend, the innovation transition of the Army's ongoing uh, undergoing, and Army Futures Command is uh, the active duty uh, component that is given that that's been given that task by um, you know the of the Army and uh, and others in uh, in the Pentagon. And um, Army Futures Command is located in Austin, which is great. You know, here in Texas. And um, you know the 75th Innovation Command is just a uh, obviously a much smaller uh, than the Army Futures Command as far as size and budget and all that kind of thing. Um, but we're a supportive uh, organization, and uh, we scout for uh, we use our civilian um, knowledge of the of the marketplace to. Um, you know, just try to help where we can, and, and help bring dual-use technology to the military. You know, technology has been commercialized already, uh, or maybe that's in the commercialization process, but the
1: founder per- perhaps hasn't even thought that
0: that technology could be helpful for
1: um, the military. Too. And uh, so, again, without, and I know you won't tell me anything we shouldn't be listening to, but the uh, so it, it's apparent that the the military. Uh, definitely sees a future in in blockchain technology. There's, it seems like that seems to be apparent. Is that correct?
0: Well, that's one of those things that I I wouldn't be able to speak to. So um, yeah, unfortunately, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to to put the word the words in the, the army's mouth. But um, I, I hope so. I, I can kind of speak uh, for, in my civilian capacity. I would just say I hope the military uh, is going to to take a look at this technology
1: very cool and i don't know if you're familiar or if you follow jason lowry much on twitter absolutely yeah and okay so give me give me your civilian opinion of uh jason's work
0: yeah civilian opinion of jason's work and you know he has, he deals with this all the time too right when he's on a podcast uh, he, the views that he expresses are certainly not the views of the space of space force um and the views that i express are certainly not the, the views of the army uh, but Jason Lowry is a uh, an officer in Space Force, doing his dissertation re- research at MIT on the national security implications of Bitcoin, and uh, ta- he talks a lot about Bitcoin mining too. And you know, this this uh, technology is game changing for the store of value and the economic um, structure of the global world order. I mean from Bretton Woods to today, you know, Bretton Woods, post-war, post-World War II financial order has largely been revolved around the dollar and uh, largely because the United States had all the gold after the the first two world wars. Uh, And then when we went off the gold uh, standard in the early 1970s, I believe it was 71, that Nixon took us off, um, that... um, that has been driven by the fiat dollar. And because of the strength of the U.S. economy, the the dollar has um, remained the world's reserve currency. And so, um, you know, Jason Lowry talks a lot about the way that Bitcoin interacts with that landscape. And I don't think, I don't wanna put words in his mouth either, but neither he nor I think that it would be good for Bitcoin to overtake the dollar as the world's reserve currency just like we don't think that it would be good for the digital yuan, which is the China's digital banks, uh, central bank digital currency, uh, to overtake the dollar either. So um, I personally think that if the United States embraces Bitcoin, perhaps it has a strategic Bitcoin reserve, that could actually act like gold did after World War II, securing the dollar as the world's reserve currency because of investor confidence in the United States financial position, Treasury bills, you know, remain at an incredibly low interest rate. Our borrowing costs are incredibly low. Um, now, if we don't embrace this, then perhaps the there is an acceleration towards a regionalized, you know, reserve currency status. Like in, in East Asia, South Asia, and Africa, it wouldn't be shocking to me in the next five years if they move towards a digital yuan, mm. um, which would be a sad thing, I think.
1: Hmm, that's inter- That's an interesting thought. I, I, what I find really interesting, and you know, you 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 can see that with China's Belt and Belt and Road initiative. But it seems like there seems to be some African nations are really kind of pushing back on um, China's influence and saying, "Well, we owe you this money, but you're not getting it." But but that is an interesting scenario. Um, I find it really interesting, just the whole concept of, you know and I fundamentally believe this because it's true that Bitcoin is essentially just energy. And, you know, Jason kind of puts, puts it in the realm of um, energy as a force. And, and um, I just find that whole concept uh, very interesting. So, you know, the U S taking, bitcoin as a reserve currency is essentially storing a massive amount of energy for its strategic reserves in effect if i understand them correctly i I find that whole concept fascinating
0: yeah absolutely and and that's sort of like um, the the commodity asset that secures um, the gold reserve currency you know it's it's been oil for the last several decades uh and for, for the last several centuries it's been gold you know um, so, I think there's a place for you know energy, in particular, you know Bitcoin and energy uh, as a whole, to be one of those assets, one of those commodities. That you know Bitcoin's not a true commodity; it's a quasi commodity. It's like commodity slash property slash currency. If you talk to the Lightning Network people, they still want to throw the currency, uh, you know, exchange of of uh, of course, store of value, but also exchange of uh, goods and services in there. So um it, it'll be fascinating to see how it all transpires. I, I think you know for from my perspective, the the United States government will will not be a first mover on this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and, and that's okay because we're so big that we can afford to make, you know some some tactical mistakes in the short run i just hope that in the, the strategic game that we're thinking about it in the long run you know if the united states doesn't have any bitcoin in uh, in the treasury by 2030 that's when i start to be concerned you know i don't think there's any there's no chance that this year that's going to happen but sometime between this year and 2030 i would, I would hope to see that happen
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Well, one final question for you, and uh, this just kind of came to me, you know, the the current administration is not necessarily energy or uh, fossil fuel uh, friendly. Uh, Do you see that impacting or how is that impacting Texas? Or do you see that impacting Texas, Texas's um, oil and gas industry? And then by default, do you see that impacting Texas uh, Bitcoin mining?
0: I really don't think so. I think they're more concerned with, you know, new development pipeline, you know, new pipeline development and uh, uh, development in ecosystems that are fragile, like in Alaska. I think they know that the kind of revenue that the, the you know, the oil and gas in- industry is 9% of Texas's economy. Um, money speaks to Democrats just like it does to Republicans, just like, I mean, money is the the Layer transaction layer that uh, makes the world go round. So uh, I don't I don't perceive um, then making any drastic or full hearted moves uh, to curtail um, the oil and gas industry other than you know tinkering on the edges and re- regulatory um, oversight that we're we're gonna feel like it's onerous overly onerous probably, um, but it's not gonna have you know, a drastic effect that would just be, um, you know, not be counter to the interests of the administration, I think. Um, so it may not feel like that. you know, the the media may blow it up, but you can't slow the train down. I mean, it's, it's moving and it's moving fast. And, you know, you may, you know, throw, throw a few, uh, obstacles or impediments in the way, but that trains to come down the tracks.
1: Yeah, good good words, good words. Well, Lee, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you and I think fascinating and I've learned a lot. Hopefully the audience is going to learn a lot. I, I'm, I'm sure they will. Uh, if people want to uh, follow you or, or kind of uh, connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: On Twitter at, um, so at Lee underscore Bratcher. Uh, so it's L E E underscore Bratcher B R A T C H E R. Our website, the Texas Blockchain Council is the best place to get information about the TBC and, and joining us, and uh, or even just coming to some of our events. We do events monthly events in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. Uh, we've got different chapters uh, in those cities, so we'd um, love to have people come out. Awesome,
1: Lee. Thanks so much for your time. Patrick, thanks for having me. It was a a great conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. To access the tools discussed today, be sure to use the links found in the show notes. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions,
1: consult a professional.